It's called Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. Everyone that's ever been born is born with this same desire and drive. It doesn't matter if you're here and you're four years old. It doesn't matter if you're 40 or 80. We all have this hunger and thirst to be happy in life, do we not? And we seek it out with everything we do. It takes almost all of our decisions in life. We look for it in everything, whether that be your job, your career, a relationship, romance, money, whatever it is. It's dictated by this idea of happiness. I'm going to bet that none of you have had a conversation with someone who's recently fallen in love. And you go up to them and you ask them, so why this person? Why, why have you fallen in love with this person? And they say, you know what? I love this person so much. They, they just make me feel, you know, I, I just, there's something about them that in every circumstance, no matter what it is, there's just an amazing, they have this amazing ability to make me feel totally miserable all the time. And I love them. I'm just so unhappy when I'm around them. And I, I want to marry them. But no one's ever said that, right? And if they did, you'd probably be like, uh, can I get you an appointment with a psychiatrist? Maybe like Dr. Phil or Oprah or something. You know, we, we, it's, it's crazy because most people get married or fall in love because of what? I love them because they make me happy, right? Or they make me feel good. They make me laugh. And it's not just relationships that we seek it out. It's, it's in everything. It's in careers even. I mean, what dad has had this conversation with his son and he has that father-son mode? Son, come over here. All right, I want to talk to you about, you know, you need to grow up, you need to get a job and a career, and as you choose a career, I want you to find the job that's going to make you the most miserable every day of your life, that you're going to absolutely despise, and you're just going to want to be out of it your whole life. That's the job I want you to pick. No dad does that. What do they say? No, 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 you need to find something that makes you happy or that you love. And that's our generation today, especially, I'm a millennial. I mean, my generation is all about find something that makes you happy. It's not so much about find the work. It's just whatever you can do to be happy. And so we have people in my generation, they get jobs, they go to school, they do all this work, they get a job, and then the boss says, okay, do this work. And they're like, wait a second, I didn't sign up to do this work. I, I'm not supposed to do anything I don't want to do. I'm a millennial. I only do what makes me feel comfortable, and I'm offended you're doing that, right? And so we leave, and if you see the, the job market now is, my, the generation is, they're moving jobs like crazy. Before, 50 years ago, people used to stay in the same job for a long period of time. Now it's all over the place because people are like, it's all about me being happy now. It's all about my happiness. I mean, we live in a country that has all the right ingredients for people to be happy, do we not? I mean, for the most part, our economy is doing well. For the most part, we're at peace. You don't lay your head at night terrified of, are we going to be invaded and am I going to die? I mean, maybe you do, but, you know, there, there's not good reason for that. We're at a time where you can pursue happiness. But the funny thing is, with all the opportunity for people to pursue happiness, our depression rates are at an all-time high. Our suicide rates are rising. Our job satisfaction, our life satisfaction is at a slope downward. Why is that? And why is it for some of us here, if you're a Christian, maybe your walk with the Lord, it's like, I don't feel much happiness. 
or in my life, I'm kind of just in this lull, going through the motions, I'm complacent, and this idea of joy, the message today is joy to the world, and I know the baby Jesus, that's supposed to bring me joy, but I've heard this story a hundred thousand times, and I just, I don't have that much joy. Or maybe you're here, and you're like, you know, I'm in a place in life where I just don't like my circumstances. You know, you don't know what I've been through. If you, if you could see what my childhood was like, or if you could see what my family dynamic was like, or if you could see what my family and my marriage are like now. Or maybe I have this health issue. Everyone else around me, they just seem like they're having a good time all the time. They're all healthy. For me, every day is a challenge. My circumstances make it so I can't be happy. And the grass always seems greener on the other side. Maybe that's you this morning in some capacity. And that's what we're going to talk about is this idea of happiness and this drive that people have, the pursuit of happiness. But we're going to talk about this word joy. And we're going to see how joy and happiness are actually two different things. And we're going to learn, and we're going to look at it in three different ways. We're going to look at these scenarios that joy pops up in the book of Luke and Hebrews. And we're going to see, one, this is what joy isn't. This is how you don't get joy. And then over here we're going to see this is how you get joy. And then in the middle in Hebrews we're going to see, well, this is how joy is kept. This is how we hold on to joy when we don't feel it. So that's where we're going. I don't think mo- many of you have heard this story before, but I want to specifically focus on joy. So if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at Mary visiting her cousin Elizabeth. And as many of you know, if you're here last week, Mary already knows she's pregnant. The angel of the Lord has come to her and said, Mary, you're going to have a baby. It's going to be this miraculous thing. And she's excited, and so she goes to visit Elizabeth about this. And so let's Pick it up in verse 39, Luke 1, 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And get this, verse 44. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed in what the Lord has said to her that will be accomplished. So at first glance, this story makes sense that there's joy. It makes sense, you know, Mary's excited, she's pregnant, God is working. Elizabeth's excited because God has worked in her a miracle as well. And the baby's excited because the Holy Spirit, he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. That's John the Baptist in her womb. That makes sense. But if we go deeper into the context, it's actually not a very joyful time. Because if you were a Jewish person living in that day, who was your government? It was the Roman Empire. The Jews hated the Romans. The Romans didn't really like the Jews. The Romans persecuted and put all these laws and all this stuff. So if you were Jewish, you would feel like, I'm oppressed. I can't be joyful because I can't pursue happiness because I'm under this rule. And on top of that, there was a huge disparity between the poverty line and the wealthy line. Mary was probably most likely from a very poor home. And on top of that, if you're a Jewish person, you are living under this faith or this, if you could even call it a faith, this religious obligation all the time to do the right thing so God maybe will forgive you. And if that's not enough, Mary has just had this miracle, but at the same time, women back in that time under Jewish law, we see later that women can get stoned 
for committing adultery or having sex out of marriage. Mary's kind of in this hot water situation. It's kind of, it's a blessing, but at the same time, you'd think Mary might be able to look at it and say, well, this is great, but all my family thinks, you know, I did something I shouldn't have. My, a lot of people have rejected me. My friends look down on me. There's all this shame going on, but yet we see this joy. And that leads us to our first point. The distinction between happiness and joy is this. Happiness is based on outside circumstances. Joy is based on something else. When I was in high school, I wanted to get a girlfriend. I never. I was homeschooled, wasn't very good looking, didn't have much of a personality. So I knew, okay, I had to do something. So I, I, I in, in my, you know, up in Glendora and L.A. County, the cool thing to do in high school was to have this off-road looking truck. So I got a job at a yogurt shop called Pinkberries, very masculine, and I worked really hard so I could save up for this truck so eventually I can get a girlfriend and go on a date. It made sense. So I got this truck, I spent all summer long ripping it apart, putting on suspension, making it off-road, and it was really cool. So then it was time when it finished for the maiden voyage. Called my buddies up. I was like, all right, we're going to go to In-N-Out, get some shakes. I think it was pretty dicey. We were drinking shakes and driving. And so we got, I loaded them in my truck, and we went to the spot, Denny's. Everyone been to Denny's? It's pretty wonderful. I'm not a big Denny's guy. But anyway, you know, so we go to Denny's. This Denny's was special in Glendora up there because it had a jump in the back. So there was this, like, 40-foot ramp, right, where you could drive, and then the concrete went like this. And then there was another 40 feet that you could land your truck, but the problem was, after that 40 feet was this entire building that was made of glass. And so you had to time it just right to get enough speed to jump, land, slam on the brakes, and stop before you hit the building. It was, it, you know, it made perfect sense. So I get my buddies, we, uh, we have our shakes, I load them on my truck, I had detailed it, waxed it that day, and I'm going, and I rev it up to around 60 miles an hour, because I've read online that was a sweet spot, and I launch it. And we're in the air, my buddy, it was amazing, but then here's the funny thing about physics. If there's more weight on one side of the car than the other, that means when you launch, the car's going to start to tilt. You know that? So in the air, it's all fun, and then all of a sudden this car starts to tilt this way, so much so to the point where when we land, if this is my tires, my hand, it landed like this on the ground, broke off, the whole side suspension broke off, the car skidded for about 35 feet after landing, and we landed, I'm not joking, about this far from the glass. Okay, and I, I'm a senior in high school, the cops come, they call my parents, the cops are like, what were you doing? I was like, I don't know, I was just driving in the parking lot and my, my tire fell off, <laughs> you, you know? And so anyway, we towed the car back, and I was pretty handy with cars back then, so I fixed it within two weeks. I put new suspension on it, welded it up, it was good. And then I called my buddies back, I was like, you know what, we can't let Denny's beat us. You know, we, we got to get back there. When you fall off a horse, you get back on it. Somebody was like, yeah, that sounds great. We were, we were all real bright. And, and so we go back to Denny's, fixed. I drive I, I, 55 miles an hour at this point. I, I held back. I launched it, landed, slammed. I evenly displaced my friends. And I landed fine, and we, and we were good. But after we landed, we're like, that was so wonderful. We look back, and there's this guy laying across the ramp, bleeding on the floor. And I, we're like, we just killed somebody. 
Don't worry. Okay, do we run? Do we drive away? Do we? So we decided, you know, we're Christians, so we ran back, tried. He couldn't say anything. There's blood all over him. I'm sorry for the graphicness. But so we call an ambulance. An ambulance come. The police come. You know what it looks like. I'm thinking I killed someone. My life is I'm never going to get a girlfriend. It's over. And then thankfully they looked up. I mean, not for the guy. But anyway, they looked at the cameras, and it just so happened that after I jumped the truck, he had already been injured, walked out, and fell on that. But it wasn't by me. He ended up living. He's okay, just so you know. But, but the reason I told you that story is because I learned back then, based on circumstances, you can go so quickly from being as high, like literally in the air, right, and as happy as can be, to as terrified or as miserable as can be. Can you not? Isn't that how circumstances are? And that's kind of what happiness is like for a lot of us, is we live our lives, and it's all about circumstances. And the problem is our lives, are, our emotions are like this. Because it's always, you know what, if things are going good today, I'm happy. If things are going bad today, I'm happy. And this is how you get people that are always walking around as victims, right? Because they're a victim of their circumstances. And their countenance is always, well, you know, this, somebody didn't fill up the Keurig with water and I had to go put it back, you know, my day's horrible, right? Or, you know, this is going on, you know, and it's always this negative. Or then you have people who, on the other end, are trying to fight that and they're like, you know, I want to be positive, I want to be that the glass is half full kind of person, and you're one of the people, you love the motivational speakers and you're always like, you know what, I feel good, I feel great, I feel wonderful. No matter what the circumstances, you're going to be like, I feel good. You ever see those stickers back in the day on the back of people's cars and one that says no bad days, little palm trees? My buddies and I always used to think of it, same, same buddies. But we always thought, how funny would it be on those cars to get a rock, tie a note to it, throw the rock through the window of their car, and then when they look at it, it says, how's your day going? You know, and just think, like, and, and there's those kind of people that you can try by your own willpower to say, you know what, I'm not going to let my circumstances change my attitude. But it's hard work. And the reality of life is circumstances get hard, right? The reality of life is you can try as much as you want. I'm going to be a positive thinker. I'm going to do my best to be happy all the time. I want to be that type of person. But at the end of the day, life gets harder and harder and harder. It doesn't not. And it's not consistent. And so this idea of joy that we're going to read about in our next text, it's something far more grounded. And for Mary and Elizabeth and John the Baptist, they understood this. Yes, circumstances aren't great, but God is doing something. You see, I used to view God like this. I used to think growing up that God was this kind of somber person who looked at me, and yes, he died on the cross. Yes, he rose again, and he'd be like, yes, Abel, I'm going to forgive you, but it's a stretch to forgive you. You know, I mean, I'm just kind of, you're, you're kind of a bummer of a person. And I always thought when I see God, it's going to be this very somber tone. But then I went to seminary and I started reading, and I read stuff like this that says, in the Psalms, it says, in your presence, O Lord, is fullness of joy. And then I started to read that, like, the, the gospel says that when we put our faith in Christ, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes inside us, Right? And then the Holy Spirit starts to work in us because we're in the proximity of God all the time. And then these fruits start to come out. What are the fruits? Love, good work ethic, being diligent. Are those are fruits? No, no, no. It's love. That makes sense. God is love. We love because He first loved us. But what's the very second thing being with God does to you? It produces joy. And so often in my life, I didn't think of God as joy. I thought of God as like wrath. Or God is this person I need to glorify. And yes, that's true that I need to glorify him. And yes, it's true that at times he's a God of wrath. But the, one of the most beautiful attributes of God in himself is joy. 
And that's a part of Him that He wants to share with us. That's, he's the one that invented it. Do you know God has feelings? We read that in the Bible. God invented feelings. He gave us feelings. And get this, we have such a drive for happiness. We have such a drive to be fulfilled and for joy because God gave us that drive. Because God is so good, He wants to give us joy. He didn't give us the drive for nothing. He gave it so He Himself could share His goodness of joy to us. Not happiness. Something very different. Well, that leads us to our second point, because I know a lot of you, if you're like me, you're like, okay, that's not, that's not brand new knowledge. I, you know, I know that, but I still don't feel joy in my circumstances and everything going on. Okay, so let's move forward. Everybody still with me? All right, so our next scene where joy comes on the page is Luke chapter 2. You've heard this story before, but we're going to look at it in verse 8. And it says this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Keeping watch over their flocks at night, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around, and they were terrified. Okay, you've heard this story before. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. How did Jesus bring joy? I mean, if we think about his life, you know, he was born, he, uh, for the first 30 years, you know, he, he was raising up, you know, with his family, then he starts his ministry, and he does some things that bring joy and happiness, does he not? I mean, he heals people, that brings joy. He does some miracles, that brought joy. He does some good teachings, that brought some joy, but then he dies. That's not a very happy event. But then he raises again, okay, well, that's joyful, but then he goes, he ascends up into heaven and leaves. And then if you're a Jewish person back then, like probably those shepherds were, after Jesus leaves, pretty shortly after, the Roman Empire comes in and they start slaughtering Jews by the hundreds and thousands. They rip the temple to pieces and the Jews are scattered all over the world. How did he bring joy? And, and the fact is, like, how does, I mean, I know we sing the songs, but how did this baby born 2,000 years ago bring us joy this morning? Because if your life's like mine, you have some hard things going on. Right? It's not easy. There's all these circumstances. How do they bring joy? Well, the writer of most of the New Testament, Paul, explains this in Ephesians chapter 2. Stay with me if you can. He says this. He says, before Jesus, before anyone has put their faith in Jesus, he says this, you were dead in your transgressions and sin and once you once lived following the course of this world. So Paul's saying, hey, before someone comes to know Christ, they're blinded to God, and they're like a walking dead person around, in, in so much that they are not seeing what true joy is. They can only see the things that are in front of them. Look, he goes on. He says they're dead, they're walking dead people, and then he says all they live for is to gratify the cravings of their flesh, and they follow their desires and thoughts like the rest, they were by nature deserving of wrath. See, the gospel tells us that this craving we have, if we don't know Jesus, our whole life is spent trying to fill it with things that can't fill it. Our whole life is spent trying to say, what is going to make me the most happy, the most fulfilled, and the mo feel the most important, whatever it may be? And we search for it in every different way. That's why relation, that's why the divorce rate is so high in America. 
Because people are looking at to fulfill, you know, what's the famous phrase? You complete me. I found a part of me that I didn't have, but I found it in you. But the reality is, no one can fulfill you. You get married. You, might, you may meet the person first. It's all wonderful butterflies, mistletoe, Christmas time. Then you get married and you find it. Why don't you squeeze the toothpaste that way? Why don't you clean the dishes like I do? You don't spend money like I do. I spend it right. You spend it wrong. You know, we realize, wait, you're not making me happy, so what do you do? I'm going to find someone else that's just like me that will make me happy. And you go to someone else, and then the same thing happens. And then people just bounce around. They bounce around with jobs. I got to find the career. I got to find the boss that's going to look at me like I'm the savior and amazing person that I am for this company, and they're going to recognize me. And if I don't, I'm going to go somewhere else. Right? Or if it's family, if you're, if you're a kid, maybe it's your, your parents aren't as good as on the movies. It's Christmas time. You're supposed to have a wonderful hugging cuddle sessions with each other, you know, on Christmas time. But that's not the reality. Maybe if you had a different family, you'd be happy. The grass is always greener on the other side because we're before Christ. All we do is we live to fill this void that only joy can in Christ. When I... I, I love cars. I've restored and fixed up cars. It's kind of a side hustle to make money, you know. And uh, I've done that for years. And one time I finally got the car that I always wanted, and I got it, and it had these calf leather brown heated seats. It was awesome, right? And so I go to my buddy's house, who's very wealthy. His dad just handed him everything. You know, and I go to my, look, man, I got it. My dad's not rich, and I had this. And he's like, oh, really? I just bought the new model, and it has air-conditioned seats. And I realized all of a sudden, I was like, oh, mine's not that great. And so I sold mine, tried to save up to get one of that air-conditioned seats. And, you know, the thing is with the cars is like, I tell all, all, everybody all the time, oh, I do it to make money, you know, so I can be in ministry. But the reality is most of it is I feel like if I get enough cars or the right car, then I will have arrived. And I go through car after car after car thinking, this will be the one. I will never sell it. Then a few months later, I sell it. And that's the reality of when our life is focused on things other than Christ. Look, look, at, look at this crazy verse in 1 Peter. It says, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. After you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, for most of us, we think salvation is heaven. Salvation is my sins are gone and it's heaven. And that's true. But Peter's saying, no, 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 you missed the biggest part of your faith, the end result. The big thing is that you have this joy, and it's inexpressible. You can't even explain it because it's there. Even when all your other circumstances are bad, you have this feeling of contentment, satisfaction, and joy inside you. That's what Jesus can bring. That's what Jesus taught that woman at the well. You remember her? She has five husbands. She's living with a different man at the time. He goes to her up in the well. He says, hey, I can give you water of life. And she's like, Jesus, I already got water. And he's like, no, 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 you take this water, you're never going to thirst again. What was he saying? You believe in me? If you have a relationship with me and believe in the gospel, you won't need to search for joy and satisfaction in men anymore. You can find it in me. You'll never grow thirsty again. That's the gospel. Is that's what Jesus offers. Is he says that craving that you're born with, that craving is actually for me and you don't even know it. That craving to have joy that's not based on circumstances that fails you, that's all over the place, it can be found in me and it's unchanging and unwavering. And you can't even explain it, but it's joy. 
That's our second point, is that joy comes from knowing Christ. But some of you here, that's not new news. You know, okay, yeah, joy is in Christ. My circumstances are still horrible, or I still feel kind of just whatever about life. I'm going through the motions. Or maybe you're a non-Christian here, like, you know, I have moments of happiness. I don't feel totally content, but I have, okay, well, I think there's a key to how this becomes a reality in our lives. And I think it's found in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. That's what we're going to look at coming up on the screen. But I think if we get this, joy becomes alive in our lives. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Okay, we've heard that. Verse 2, look at this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Look at this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How does that verse make any sense? How, How did Jesus look at the cross? I mean, that's a psychotic thing to say that you can look at your execution and say, oh, that's exciting, that's wonderful, I have joy. Even the author of Hebrews, he's trying to, he even says, no, 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 he, he despises. So what's he saying? I think this is the key to our lives. You see, Jesus looked at the cross. He didn't want to go. The Bible says he wept and prayed to his father. He sweat, sweated blood and said, God, if there's any other way I don't want to go. But I think Jesus was able to look at the cross and find joy because he said, you know what? This is going to be horrible. I don't want to do this. But if I do it, all the people that I've made I can have relationship with. And all the people at Ambassador Church or all the people in the world from here on out and behind me, they can experience the joy that I have, the joy that I want to give, the joy that I created, the cravings in their soul. I can finally fill them if I go to the cross. And so I don't want to go to the go with joy because I'm looking to the mission and to the prize of what comes after. And I think for us, that is the key. That's our third point, is that the secret to joy in your life is to look to the mission and to the prize. Some of you here have really serious things you're going through. Some of you, your story is pretty horrific if you just brought it up. Some of you, you know, it's illness. Like I said before, you, you look at everybody else, and everybody else seems so healthy, but for you, every single day you struggle, you've taken the pills, you've done the surgery, you've gone to see the doctors, but nothing fixes it, and day after day you're like, God, please take this thing from me, God, please take it, but he doesn't. For some of you, you're like, why does everybody else's marriage look so good, and then mine's the way it is? Why is everybody else so happy during the holidays, mine's not? Why does everybody else get to buy gifts for the kids, I hardly have any money in my bank account, I've got debt. And all these struggles and circumstances come in, and then, and then you hear the stuff like James and First Peter that says, those words that are so hard to hear, count it all joy when you go through various trials. How do you do that? How do you do that? I mean, you can fake it. You can have the no bad day sticker on your car. I'm joyful. I'm suffering. This is wonderful. And you can do that. But that's not what the Bible talks about. You see, for us, it's when in those moments of suffering that you remember, this is horrible, this is rough, my circumstances are hard, and I hate it, but 
A baby was born 2,000 years ago and he died and rose again and he started this movement and he's going to come back for me. And that is my hope. And the promises that he has made to me will never fall short. They are unwavering. They're not circumstantial because God is not. He is unwavering, unchanging. That is my hope. For those of us here who have lost loved ones, when we look at the cross, we remember that the Bible says that, guess what? You lost a loved one. If they're in Christ, you're going to see them again. For those of us who suffer with pain, even in your pain, you don't understand, and I don't know why God doesn't heal us on the spot, but for some reason he does, but we can remember, no, my God is a healer. And if he doesn't heal me in this life, I'm going to be given a new body with him for eternity, and my life's this big in comparison to all of eternity. For those of us who our finances are a mess, and our careers are a mess. My God is wealthy beyond belief, and in His house are many mansions, and He's going to give me all that I need, and He will provide. See, when we set our focus on the mission and the prize of Christ, and we remember to look up, our problems become smaller. Let me read you this verse really quickly, and it says this in Corinthians. It says, For our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The Apostle Paul was saying to the church, he's like, hey, all of your afflictions, I know they're hard, I know they're horrible, but in light of eternity, in light of being with an all-loving, joyous God, they're this big. I know they don't feel that way. I know in your world, it's all you can see. It's all encompassing. It's bringing you down. But you got to look up. You can't look at just what you see. you got to look at the unseen and see the picture of God. What is joy? It's far more than happiness. Far more than circumstances. It's eternal. It's something that God does inside of you. It's something that causes you to look to the beauty of Christ. And it may not always be a smile. The Bible says there's a time to mourn, there's a time to grieve. But you can be grieving and still have joy, contentment, and peace in your heart of what God has done. I'm going to tell you a cheesy story. We're going to do a couple applications. We'll close in a few minutes here. There was a man, he had been sick for several weeks. Finances are rough. He's opening up his bills. It's a rough morning. He's got a bad attitude. And all of a sudden, he looks on the TV and there's some numbers read on the TV and he looks at a piece of paper and he's overjoyed. And he starts beaming in excitement. And his family's looking at him like, why in the world are you so excited? He's like, hey, everybody, get in the car. This is amazing, right? Drop everything you're doing. So they get in the car and out of his excitement, he starts speeding and he gets pulled over by a cop. Cop gives him a ticket and if you know in California, it's like minimum 500 bucks now for the moment. They're always super expensive. But the ticket doesn't even phase him. He's like, thank you, officer. Merry Christmas. You know, and the family's looking like, what is your problem? Right? You're crazy. And so he keeps driving. And out of his excitement, he accidentally hits a pole. No, everybody's safe, but he damages the fender of his car, too. And he's like, it doesn't matter. We're all good. Praise the Lord. And he can't, the kid's like, you're a psycho, Dad. Okay, you're, you're crazy. And he's like, look, you don't understand my numbers match the lotto thing. I just won $150 million. Even though all these things are horrible, you, you don't understand, they don't matter in light of, we're rich. It doesn't matter. 
That's a dumb little story. But you see, that's what the focus of our life is. God doesn't promise us the lottery on earth, but he promises an eternity with an all-knowing, all-sufficient God who wants to give us eternal joy, satisfaction, fill every void in him. That is our promise. You can bank on it. You know, you win the lottery, most of those people lose the money within a few years, right? You can't lose what God's promised you. Two application points before we close. Maybe for you, you're in that wall. You don't feel much. You're not excited about your faith. Or maybe you're so bogged down with circumstances. I want to let this be a reminder that maybe you're seeking happiness instead of joy. Maybe you're seeking fulfillment and things you shouldn't be. And I, you know, it could be sin that you need to repent of, but it could also be good things. Maybe it's your family. You're putting all your weight, you're banking everything on your kids, you're banking everything on your career, and thinking this will bring me joy, but it won't. It'll bring you happiness and occasion. But maybe you need to turn aside and look to God. Maybe today's the day where you're like, God, I've been saying I want joy. I'm saying I want a relationship with you, but I seek everything else besides you. You know, you can't have joy in a relationship with someone you never talk to, you never listen to, you never spend time with you. You spend time with another person. It, it, it doesn't work. And God's the same way. It's a relationship. Maybe this Christmas, what God's calling you to do is say, hey, take the time to be with me. Take the time to remember what I've promised. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done for you. Remember that I came and I died and I rose again. And I love you and I want to give you joy. Repent and turn to Him. And, and the second application, again, is simple. Look up to the prize and to the mission of God. Your sufferings are real. But God is more real. Your pain is real. But God is going to take away your pain. Your tears are real. But God's going to wipe away your tears one day. He sees all your tears. He keeps them in a bottle so He can remember. Jesus came so He could sympathize with your weaknesses because He felt there is hope he's coming back that's our hope this christmas and that should be our joy that designates every day every decision and it trumps all things let's pray